0: It's my great joy to get to open God's Word with you for a few minutes this afternoon. I know it's the middle of the afternoon, that's hard, and there's like three other sermons after this one, sort of, and you're, you're an hour short on sleep, but it is, it is God's Word, and He has a good word for us today that will be good for Pete to hear, and it will be good for all of you to hear, to know what to expect from your pastor and what you should look for in the ministry of the gospel. It is a real joy to be here and to do this for for Pete, uh, a colleague, and, and genuinely a friend of mine. So thank you for this opportunity, for the privilege. And I uh, won't bore you with the how we met several years ago, and to get to see Pete here and there. Uh, we're just down the road in East Lansing at different conferences or events, or when we overlap, and to get to know some of these other Find men behind me on the platform, so it's a real privilege, and it always is to open God's Word. If you look and you have your, your Bible open or the sheet in front of you, at verse 24, you get a sense for the seriousness with which Paul is approaching these elders from Ephesus. He says to them, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul is laying out his pastoral priorities. He knows through the Holy Spirit that when he goes to Jerusalem, he will suffer and he may even die. But he says, my life is not precious to me. There are more important things in your life than to keep living. And Paul understood that. And the ministry demands it. So he lays out for these elders with whom he had spent three years ministering and they meet him in Miletus to give these final instructions before Paul sets sail. And it is fitting that we look at them to get a sense of our priorities in ministry. I want to look at four pastoral priorities and finish with one concluding commendation. So, the first priority for pastoral ministry do not shrink from suffering. Do not shrink from suffering. Paul, in verse 22, acknowledges he will go to Jerusalem. He's constrained to go there. The Holy Spirit testifies imprisonments and afflictions await, and yet he will not shrink from suffering because he does not count his life as precious. He goes for the sake of the gospel. He valued the message of the cross more than he feared to carry his own cross. Now, it's easy sometimes for pastors to talk as if they have the hardest job. And everyone knows we work but one day a week. (laughs) Uh, Oh, there are many people in my church that have more difficult jobs, I think. Uh, Most days, almost every day, I love what I do. And Pete loves what, what he does and what he's going to do to get to study God's Word. So it's not that being... a A pastor is necessarily more suffering or that pastors suffer more, but but there is a peculiar way in which pastors suffer. And not only that, but there are peculiar dangers and a peculiar damage that comes to the cause of the gospel when a pastor shrinks from suffering. We all have temptations to shrink back from suffering, and it is acute for the pastor There is that danger to avoid hard people in the ministry. You probably don't have any at this fine church, but uh, I've heard some churches have them. And there is that temptation for the pastor to avoid hard situations of pain or confusion, not to deal with conflict, but to run through it or around it. That's what most people do. That's poor leadership. Conflict, well, I'll run over people or I'll run around people. Real leadership works with people, works through conflict. The pastor is tempted to, re- to, to shrink back from taking hard stands to taking risks. If the pastor has in his disposition to avoid suffering, he will avoid certain aspects of the word. Now, obviously, there are unhealthy extremes, like thinking you are most faithful in ministry when you are most miserable, uh, the point is not to seek out pain. The point is that we do not regard our own lives as precious in comparison to the proclamation of the gospel. Paul says at the end of 2 Timothy 4: what matters to him is that he finishes the race. Do you want to finish the race? It's not just how you can start, but, but will you finish? You've heard this story about Eric Little, who, you know, the movie Chariots of Fire and won the gold medal at the 1924 Paris Olympics, he refused to run on Sunday, and he, he won the 400 meters, and someone asked him one time, how do you run the 400 meters so fast? And he said, he was Scottish, so you'll get a very bad Scottish accent for me right now. He said, I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can, and then, by God's grace, i run the second 200 even faster. <laughs> that, that That's finishing the race. That's not to shrink back from suffering. That the, the pastor must not wake up in the morning thinking, what is the pathway of least pain? That's what we're conditioned to think. But when you do that, you will avoid hard decisions, you will avoid hard people, you will avoid hard texts. We must ask, what is the pathway Of greatest glory for God. The pastor does not shrink from suffering. Here's the second priority. Do not shrink from teaching the whole counsel of God. Look at verses 26 and 27. This must be engraven on the soul of your pastor. Therefore... I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know where this imagery comes from of innocent of the blood of all of you. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 33 with the vision of the watchman. The watchmen of Israel who would be on the wall and would look out and you don't have radar, you don't have stealth bombers, you have walls and you have watchmen. And so when the watchman sees that an opposing army is marching on your city, he is to blow the trumpet. And when he sounds the trumpet, if you do not seek safety, if you do not seek refuge, then the blood be on your own hands. He blew the trumpet and you did not take precaution. But if the watchman is on the wall and he never blows the trumpet, when he sees danger approaching, then Ezekiel 33 says, it will be to his shame. And he will be held accountable for the blood that was spilled, for the lives that were lost. Because he was derelict in his duty to watch and to sound the trumpets. Which means that your pastor cannot pick and choose the parts he wants to give you from the Bible. He must give you the whole counsel of God. It is not the pastor's duty to get up and to pick what sounds interesting or what sounds non-controversial or what sounds relevant or what will make you feel good, but he must warn of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. May it never be, may it never be that a member of this church, that a member of this church could stand before God on judgment day and say, no one ever told me I needed a savior. May it never be. Because the pastor is one who does not shrink from the whole counsel of God. And so all pastors make mistakes. I make a lot of them. And you have to say, I'm sorry, and excuse me, and I didn't mean that, and oops. But here's what pastors ought never to apologize for. Meaty sermons, deep sermons, weighty sermons, even once in a while long sermons. Because you need to hear the whole counsel of God. And Pete needs to teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, week after week. It's at somewhere around this point in Paul's ministry that he wrote the book of Romans, so when he's talking about the whole council of God, he is really thinking about the whole council of God, and he wrote Romans to a congregation full of slaves, some uneducated, and so before you're quick to say, Ah, I don't know, this is so so meaty and so much theology, and can't we have some more movie clips or something? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Paul wrote Romans slaves. Paul did not shrink from the whole counsel of God. Churches go bad when pastors start shrinking. They get bored with their Bibles. They try to be smarter than the Bible. They start hedging on the Bible. They preach in a way that lightly touches on the Bible. And whatever else you do, if you have a man in this pulpit who will not shrink back from one syllable of this word, then God will be at work. You do not shrink from suffering. You do not shrink from the Word of God. Third, third priority for pastoral ministry, be careful. Be careful. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Verse 28, that's what he says. Pay attention to yourselves. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine, for by doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Any sin is dangerous, but the sin of the pastor can be deadly. Any doctrinal deviation is problematic, but that from a pastor can be catastrophic as sin creeps into the life of a minister and then makes him soft towards sin. Or the minister becomes hardened towards his own sin and so hardened towards others. Or you get out of step theologically and people follow you for a hundred miles and you wind up absolutely lost. Pete, your pastor, needs to be vigilant, not only for your sake, but for his and for all those who will look to him for leadership, in direction, Do not begrudge him the time to read. Do not begrudge him the time to pray, the time to study, the time to reflect, the time to be fed in his own soul. He must pay careful attention to himself because there will be fresh temptations and attacks. It is, it is not uh, unknown to the devil and his side that there is a pastoral installation here. The devil loves to undermine pastors, loves to undermine the ministry of the word. And so pastors, we must guard ourselves against laziness, against self-pitying, against people-pleasing. Pay careful attention to ourselves. And you notice also in verse 28, to the flock. It's not just to ourselves as a kind of self-aggrandizement but in order that we may then pay attention to the flock because Paul says there are wolves out there and actually he says there are wolves in here meaning there will be people in in the church itself that will be perhaps well-meaning but will lead people astray see Paul wasn't naive enough to think that everyone who said hey I'm I like Jesus is somehow one of the good guys if that's how you go through life, you think, well, they said they like Jesus. Almost everyone in this country likes Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses like Jesus and the Mormons like Jesus and everyone. Hindus like Jesus. Buddhists like Jesus. Atheists like Jesus. Paul understood. It's not enough that there's just people who kind of, they talk about the Bible and they talk about Jesus. He said some of them are actually wolves. And Paul's concerns were validated 2 Timothy 1.15, you are aware that all who are on Asia turned away from me, he writes to Timothy at Ephesus. Revelation two two, when Jesus writes this letter, he warns them of those who call themselves apostles and are found to be false. The work of the elder, the pastor, the overseer, and if we had more time, I could show how all of these terms are, are really the same thing, elder, pastor, overseer. Uh, Paul uses them interchangeably here. The work of the pastor is to be a shepherd. That's, that's what pastor means, to shepherd a flock. Think of Psalm 23. Most of you know it. A good shepherd does what? He feeds, he leads, he guides, he protects, he preserves, Shepherds in the ancient world were known for their courage, their vigilance, their attentiveness, their self-sacrifice, their compassion. It was, it was the blending of, of both tender-heartedness and authority. To rule with a rod of iron like the shepherd in Psalm 2 and to carry the little ewe lambs in his arms like Isaiah 40. What do you think of when you think of a shepherd? Many of us think of... You know, maybe a picture we saw in a children's book or from Sunday school, and a shepherd is kind of a funny-looking guy with a robe and a sash, and he just sort of stands out there, and his hair is blowing in the breeze, and he's thinking very pastoral thoughts, and what a fine card he might make. That's not what pastors were like, shepherds were like. A shepherd, it was a dirty job. It was often given to the the runt. Think of David, who's the last in line of his his brothers. He's out there when Samuel comes. He's tending the sheep. This was dirty, hard, cold, laborious, effort-filled work to be a shepherd. Here's what one person writes. It's somewhat purple prose, but I think it paints a good picture. He says, on some high moor, across which at night hyenas howl. There you meet him, sleepless, farsighted, weather-beaten, armed, leaning on his staff, looking out over his scattered sheep, everyone on his heart. You understand why the shepherd of Judea sprang to the front of people's history, why they gave his name to their king, made him the symbol of their providence, and why Christ took him to be the type of self-sacrifice. I think if you were to know, and you do, many of you, were to know your pastor and the elders and what they pray about and what makes them weep and how your souls are a wonderful burden on their lives, I, th- I think you would think twice before being too Critical. It is hard work to be a shepherd. It is good work, but it is hard work and is that to which Pete has been called to care for himself and to pay attention to you, the flock, each sheep. And there's a fourth priority, and it's woven in with this one, and it is the priority of simply to be a caring shepherd, to be careful and then to be caring. You see, verse 33, Paul says, Look, I was not in this for the money. Oh, shame on any pastor who goes into the ministry for money, for fame, for prestige, for position, for some kind of extra points in heaven. Paul says in verse 35 I've, I've worked hard. You know, I've worked with my own hands. I've been a tent maker. I provided for myself. My aim has been to give, not to take away. I'm not here to fleece the flock, I'm here to give. You see what the pastor is? He's a burden bearer. Now, we're all called to bear each other's burdens, but in particular, the shepherd. That the shepherd looks out at the flock and thinks to himself, there are problems here. And he he wonders, how might I in some small way be inconvenienced for their sake? How, how, How could I be a little lighter in the wallet for the sake of these people. How, how might my family perhaps be a little burdened by having folks over for a meal? Maybe my, my children will have to do one, one night without their dad, another one, and another one at a meeting. The pastor is a burden bearer, one who, who sees the suffering of the people, and you all suffer. And he's not the Christ, he's not the Christ, but he he thinks, how might I take a little bit of that load and put it on myself? How might I make your load a little lighter? How might I weep when you weep? How might I carry just some of what you are carrying? He's a caring man, that's the shepherd. We've seen the priorities, and let me just finish with one final commendation. And we find it in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One one final charge. I know it's not the very last thing he says in this, but... But thematically, here's, here's the last exhortation he's giving to these elders, these shepherds. It's the last word. Just like you know when you were in high school and you signed everybody's yearbook. Some of the, uh, at least we did this in my school, we got a yearbook and you signed everyone. Some of the world's least significant prose ever written finds its way into those yearbooks. Love you like a sister. Here was one I would get, you know, have a great summer. summer. Don't ever change. That's a terrible thing to tell a 17-year-old. Don't ever change. You ought to write, man, I hope you change in almost every single way and see me in 10 years. Before you get married, change, okay? You, you, You write in these yearbooks and... And that's the best you can come up with when you're in high school. Here's sort of my last parting shot. Here's my final word to you. I may never see you again. Well, this is what Paul has, and he can do a little better than the yearbook. Here's the last thing. He's got these men. He's labored with them. He loves them. They're going to weep. And his final commendation is to commend them to God and the word of his grace. It's really one commendation. The effect is this. God will keep you as you keep close to the word of his grace. You ever ever have somebody ask you, what's one piece of advice for being married? One piece of advice for raising children? One piece of advice in my new job? And, And you feel this pressure. What's the one thing I would say? Well, here's Paul. What's one thing, okay? One thing you want to tell these men before you never see them again, and they lead this church. And this is what Paul says. He could have said any number of things, you know? Get a good night's sleep, eat well, Uh, do your best, work real hard. He tells them, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. In other words, he's thinking, if I could wave a little magic apostolic wand and make sure that this church had one thing, one thing he would want that the shepherds would stick with the word, stick with. With the word, it will build you up. It will give you an inheritance. He's saying, get in the word. Test everything. Test your heart. Test your head. Test your science. Test your feelings. Test your traditions. Test your politics. Test everything against this word. Be consistent with it. Go deep in it and never forget that this word you are immersed in is the word of his grace. It's an all-encompassing grace. It's a grace that warns. It's a grace that promises. It's a grace that threatens. It's a grace that commands. It's a grace that is chiefly putting before us always Christ and Him crucified. And I know there's a charge to come for the pastor and for the congregation, but I hope in all of this you, you will simply remember this point. What you need from your pastor is a man of this book. You need to give him time to be in this book. You need to know that he can't do everything, but this is the one thing he must do to be in this book, and he must come here in this pulpit, and you should not expect him to be the best at every possible category you have, but here's the one thing you should expect is that he will give you Sunday after Sunday the word of God's grace and he will give you more grace and more grace until you're so tired of hearing about this gospel grace and he'll give you more of it because that is the calling of the pastor, of the shepherd. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Amen.